0: Hi, this is Pastor James Strickland, and you are listening to our sermon cast for Holman Park Baptist Church. Continue our look at the book of Ephesians, chapter 2. Thank you, Miss Emily, for going out to the children's church with them. And uh, we are continuing in Ephesians 2, verses 11 through 22. And uh, the slide says, come alive, but that was... Last week's lesson, and I have no person to blame that other than myself, because I'm the one that made the slide this morning. Slide is called We Are One People. We are one people. And as a nation and a world, we have become more divided than ever. This results in an us versus them mentality, and that's what we see every day, don't we? It brings hate, it brings distrust, it brings disunity among everyone. Even sadder is the fact that this spirit of disunity has crept its way into the church of Jesus Christ. Now churches and denominations are at war over one another, with one another, and it's not over the gospel, it's over other things. So we see that even for the first church in Ephesus, that... That was the case. And so to be an effective witness, for, for us to be growing as a Christian, we must focus on what unites us in order to get back to the spreading of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Too many people want to be known for what they're against rather than what they are for. So to do anything else is to become part of the problem and render a believer's influence as repelling and ineffective. My friends, if you wear the crown that God has given you and you represent the Lord Jesus Christ and you are sowing distrust and hate among our our people, then you are not being a good witness. And that goes for me as well. Because in Christ, in Christ, in other words, for believers who all agree that Jesus Christ is their Savior and Lord, in Christ. We are one people, and that's what Paul is telling us this morning. So we must remember that. We must live it out through the church and proclaim it in this fractured world that we live in. You see, as Americans, we give lip service to the truth that we're all equal. While our laws seek to support that ideal, the reality is, is that Christians do not always reflect that in their attitudes. In relationships. Why is that? Because we all have a fallen sinful nature that seeks to make distinctions between one another. Distinctions between races. Distinctions between those that may have a different bank account size, different job, different set of, of standards. But God makes no distinction. No distinction whatsoever because Christ Loves all unconditionally. He died for all. And he works through all believers regardless of race. And we are to follow the example of Christ and openly accept and embrace one another. And when I say that, and I want to kind of give this caveat, we do need to love one another and we need to accept one another. We do not need to discount somebody's sin. We need to make sure that we address The sin, first of all, in our own lives. And then second of all, help others with their sin. Just because we love everybody doesn't mean that we agree with everything that they believe in. But we don't have to spread it in some hate-filled nonsense. He called us to be one. He called us to be united together. And any time we get off of the gospel and onto other things, disunity happens. And you see, Paul knew. Again, this service or this series is called Church with a Question Mark. We see that Paul established a church, and now he's telling us what the church needs to do. And the thing is, is that Paul knew the importance of a church being right with God so that it could be right with one another. My friend, if you are not right with others, you're not going to be right with God. And if you're not right with God, you're not going to be right with other people. You see, Paul described the animosity that existed And how God reconciled the situation through Jesus Christ. First thing that we see here before we get into the passage. That Jesus Christ loves everyone equally. And he died for all. When Jesus' blood was shed on the cross. It was not for a certain color. A certain language. A certain person that's good enough. Or a certain person that's bad enough. It is for anyone who would accept his sacrifice, whether they be a teenager, whether they be a child, or whether they be a senior adult one foot in the grave. You realize the hardest person to reach are those that are older. After you pass the age, I think 14, the likelihood that you would come to know Christ is up in the 90 percentile. And so when we see people that are senior adults that come to know the Lord, that is a walking miracle. Because maybe you haven't noticed it in your life, but I sure have noticed it in mine. The older we get, the more set in our ways we get. Y'all not set in your ways, are you? Yeah, preacher, I'm here, ain't I? Well, yeah, I understand that. But yeah, we all we all have our preferences. But the truth is that Jesus Christ loves everyone equally and died for all. He makes no distinctions between races, ethnicities, or nationalities. And he painted a vivid picture here of how Christians should behave when confronted with those who appear to be different. Now, in light of this message, there are a lot of things that are going on. Racism is a buzzword. Racism has been around for centuries, and it will still be around. But now it has taken the forefront of a its a social construct, of which I'll talk about in just a minute. But maybe you've heard of the term CRT, critical race theory. Uh, There are many beliefs on that, and I'm not going to jump into details on that, but just understand, at at the basic core of that, there are those that believe that that America was founded on racist principles, and then there are those that believe that they've never been racist a day in their life. And I think somewhere in, in especially our area, that maybe there's a little bit of both, but we'll talk about that in just a minute. The thing is, is that we need to remember we are one through the blood of Jesus. We are one through the blood of Jesus. He says in verse 11, and I'm reading out of the New Living Translation, he says, don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders. Now, Paul was a Jewish man. He had a ministry to Jewish folks that were the chosen people of God. So anybody that was not Jewish, in the Jewish circles would be called a Gentile or a non-Jew. And they were not looked upon very positively. It says they called the Gentiles, they used to be outsiders. In other words, they were outside of God's law. You were called uncircumcised heathens by the Jew. Now, this is a racist comment. It was a derogatory term that they would use For non-Jewish people that were not circumcised. And it was very derogatory. Sometimes they would call them uncircumcised dogs. Which today we don't think dogs are cute. But back in that day, that was a slap in the face. It would be very similar to call if you called an African American the N-word. Or if you called somebody else a, 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 a name that just grated all over them. That's how strong of a word that was. But... He says, those of you who were proud of their circumcision, even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts. In those days, you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel, and you did not know the covenant promises that God made to them. You lived in this world without God and without hope. So he's telling the Gentiles, the non-Jews, that you had no hope because God had his chosen people and He they... Are his plan. They have always been his plan. They continue to be his plan. But Gentiles you had no hope. Of becoming to know God. Until what Jesus Christ did. He says in verse 13. But now you have been united. With Jesus Christ. United. So now. Those of us that are not Jewish, that are Gentiles, that are meeting in churches just like this. We are benefactors from this verse because now we can have the same status as God's chosen people. He chose you to serve him. He chose me to serve him. And we are blessed because of that. He says, once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. Folks, racism was an issue for those who claimed to be God's people. Back at the church at Ephesus. The Jews of that day were more worried about looking right in front of one another rather than God. And folks, any time, mark this down, any time we put the opinion of ourselves, our color, or anything above God and making Him known, that becomes our idol. When I put my color or my heritage or whatever I put before serving God and giving Him glory, that becomes an idol. Verse 11 gives us if there was ever a clear picture of what false religion is. Now when I say false religion, I mean... people that go through religious activities, but it doesn't mean anything like today. Again, one of the hardest persons to reach is somebody who's been in church every Sunday, but the sermons go not in their heart, but over their head, and they just do that because they've always been there, never giving Jesus Christ access to their hearts. False religion. I've told this folks before, some of you haven't heard this, but they say my grandfather religiously, and there's the key word religiously, my grandfather Strickland would chew his food every bite, I think, 24 or 25 times before he swallowed it. Every time. That he did that religiously. That's what he did. And the thing is, is that we see here that the people that Paul is addressing, they were putting their merits, they were putting their basis for being accepted by God on the fact of a physical surgery or a physical procedure that happened on the bodies of the men. And that's what they were claiming was getting them salvation. But my question is, is is when you see verse 11, and he says, they had beliefs that affected their bodies but not their hearts, my question to you is this, does your faith affect your heart? And I would say for most of you that are in here, absolutely, because you are here. But sometimes we can be here and not here, you know what I mean? Sometimes I'm here, but not here. Sometimes I'm not here, but here. I, anyway, the thing is, is that no matter what situation you're in, Jesus offers hope. People who live without the knowledge of God or those that reject him live a life without hope. That's why we have missionaries. That's why we send missionaries to overseas. That's why we have missionaries right here in America. Shoot, we have missionaries that are coming from other countries to minister in America to say. To save Americans. We do that because if someone does not know Jesus Christ, then they are without hope. I was talking with a few people over this, this past weekend and even during VBS. For the first time, I can honestly say I've seen children in VBS that had no concept of church or Jesus. Because that's what they're being raised in. A society apart from what they would call religion. But what I would say apart from Jesus Christ, but verse 13, here's where the hope comes in. Two words, but now, but now you have been united with Christ Jesus. You were once far away from God, but now you have been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. Folks, did you catch the truth here? In verse 13, you have been united with Christ. You were once far away. You are united with Christ. That means that we have brothers and sisters in other parts of this community, other parts of the state, other parts of this world that are worshiping together. If you go to the website Voice of Martyrs or you find other research, Project Orange, where you see every day our brothers and sisters in Christ are being persecuted and killed for their faith, it should affect us. But just like the proud Americans we are, it doesn't affect us until we get punched in the nose as a nation and reminded that God is in control. You see, unity is a foreign concept today. People are united, but they are united in your cause. There are some that are all right. There are some that are all left. There are some who are conservative, some that are moderate, some who are progressive, some who are woke, Some who are sleepy, some who are Christians, some who are religious, some who are right, some who are wrong. And and we've got all these different camps of people that they are united with their cause, but they are not united in Christ. And we expect that from the world, but this should not be in the church of Jesus Christ. Because He is our banner. He is our cause. He is why we are here. He is who we worship. And He is who He serves. Him and Him alone that He demands it, but because of what He has done for us. How can I not serve uh, the only God out of ever anything that has ever existed, the only God to have ever sent His Son to die for my sins in the midst of the sin that I was in? We will never have unity if we are not unified in Jesus Christ. That's what He's saying here. And He says, The Gentiles were once far away. Again, they were not part of God's chosen plan. Folks, there's a benefit in remembering two things. And I've said this, I think, several times here recently. It's the truth. Some of you, you're in two camps. Actually, three camps. There's three camps here. The first camp is that person that remembers what they were like before they were a Christian and what God has brought them from. They were once far away from God. And now, because of what God has done in their life, they are close to him. That's one. The second person is that person that has been a Christian as long as they can remember. And it's not that they were far away from God, but it's what God has kept them from. And then the third person is that person that God is not even on their radar. My friends, why is it important to remember what God has brought you from? Because every time you remember that, you remember his love, his goodness, And his blessing. And then maybe, just maybe, when you see that person on the street, or you're talking with that person that doesn't have it all together, you may remember, you know, that I was no better than them, and I am no better than them. But if you are a non-believer, I say this with all the love in my heart, no matter how good you think you are, apart from Jesus, you will not experience the hope of eternal life. The sin that we have in our life repels us from God's presence. The blood of Jesus repaired that relationship. And first through belief, when you believe in Jesus, and then through the constant confession and repentance. Look, as I get up before you here today, I have a pastor in my title, and I'm grateful for that. But I am just as chief of a sinner as you all are. Every day, I have to plead for Jesus to forgive me of my sins to confess them, and to repent from them. We all have to do that. That's the daily process. I hate to tell you, salvation, for the sense of the security of salvation, yes, it's once and done, but it's not like you make that one decision and never have to do anything else again. It's a constant daily process. The second thing that we see, verses 14 through 16, our differences are reconciled through Jesus Christ. Yes, we are different. Verse 14 says, for Christ Himself has brought peace to us. He united Jesus and Gentiles into one people, when in his own body on the cross he broke down the wall of hostility. That wall of hostility is a key term we'll talk about it in just one second. The wall of hostility that separated us. He did this by ending the system of law with its commandments and regulations. In other words, the new covenant of Jesus Christ. No longer did you have to keep the Ten Commandments and where you fell short, you would have to go to the temple and there would have to be animal sacrifices for your sin. That was the old covenant. The new covenant is Jesus covers your sins once and for all. And that's what Paul is talking about. And he says, 16, verse 16, together as one body, Christ reconciled. Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross and our hostility towards each other was put to death. Folks, we see here in verse 14 that the wall of hostility has been broken. So my question is, why do we keep adding bricks to it? We are divided by social constructs rather than unifying around real issues. And and my best way to... To describe what a social construct is, and there are many of them you could identify with them today, at least say that you know what they are. It's something that exists, but it's objective. In other words, there's no no one can go back and say this is one real truth that can be proven. This is not one real, real thing. It's just everybody It's kind of like if everybody believes it, then it's a thing. And the truth of the matter is, it's the truth. If we all get together and we believe a lie, that lie becomes the truth. Does that make sense? If if I tell you that, that chocolate is not my favorite flavor of ice cream, and I lie to you and tell you that, y'all are going to think everybody, well, his favorite ice cream is not chocolate. But what if it is? What if it's a lie? The thing is, is that when we get together, and we say that, yeah, I know the Bible says this, but this is what culture says. This is what we think. And so it's kind of like when you were in middle school and all your friends thought, you know, this was cool. So everybody went to do that. That's what a social construct is. And it's hitting in our in our love and the way that we treat one another in people's loves lives and the way that they see gender and the way that we see racism. All of these social constructs that are being built apart from the word of God, which is why we are in the mess that we are in today. And it says the wall of hostility was torn down because of Christ, because of what Jesus has done. The reason I wanted you to to take note of that term is because in the court, or in the temple, there was what they called the court of Gentiles. And so there was a wall in the middle of this court to where if the Gentiles went past this wall to where only the Jews were at, They would see inscriptions that basically said, if you can read this sign, don't be surprised if death follows you. In other words, they didn't want anything to do with the Gentiles in that part of the temple. And then here this verse says that Jesus Christ knocked that wall down. I'm still old enough to remember when the the wall over in Germany was knocked down. What, What a great, crazy time to live and to see that happen. But Jesus Christ did that. Many years ago, so that there is not different colors that are separated, that one is better than the other. He knocked down that wall between those that were Jews and not Jews. You see, Jesus broke down a system that depended on humanity. They would have to live up to some kind of standard. That's what it meant. You would keep the laws, and if the laws were kept well enough, then you were in God's favor. And some of you are still living like that today. And the truth of the matter is, is that it doesn't matter how many laws you keep, you're still going to be a sinner in need of God's grace and Jesus' blood and his forgiveness. As a matter of fact, God ended the burden of us having to be good. If you were to to go to your Bible and read Romans 5, 8, I love this verse. It says that while you and I were still sinners, when we were in the midst of our mess, while we were still sinners, He sent His Son, Jesus, to die on the cross for your sins and mine, regardless of what color you are, regardless of what language you speak. Notice it says, He makes peace. He makes peace. Jesus Christ makes peace. Not a man, not a war, not politicians or preachers. Jesus makes peace. Any people, group, nation, institution, or organization that does not make Jesus Christ the center of their existence, there will not be peace. It says in the second half of verse 15, it says that he made the two become one group. It says he formed one new people. If you're able to find Dr. Tony Evans and his work, some of his recordings, I heard this the other day. If you want me to send it to you, I'll be glad to. But, He dismantles CRT in a way, critical race theory, that makes so much sense. He talks about, and I almost thought about just playing him this morning so you could get some good preaching. But the truth of the matter is, is that it is so much deeper. What you see on the news, and then if your children come home and they start talking about what they're being taught, then it will become real to you. When your child comes home and says, that, that I was born a racist and that this, this whole system is rigged to to be a, a racist thing, You'll you'll it'll get your attention, no matter what color you are. But there are people, even in churches, just like, if I were to sit up here and endorse a candidate, which I never will do, by the way, but if I were to endorse a candidate immediately, I would alienate somebody. And just like with CRT, if you say that you're for it or against it, you are going to... En- alienate somebody that is why I choose to focus on what Jesus did this is my statement I love what he said he used the illustration I'm not a coffee drinker but he is how many of y'all are coffee drinkers oh yeah okay well dr. Evans was talking about the fact he liked his coffee black and by the way if you didn't know if you don't know Tony Evans he is an African-American uh, preacher professor I mean, he is, is very learned in many things when it comes to the gospel. But he says he prefers to take black coffee and to put white cream in his coffee. He, how many of y'all like to put creamer in your coffee? I know my wife does. Man, sometimes I think she just needs a straw and a thing of creamer. She'll get me for that later. Don't worry. But the thing is, is that So many people want to say, I like black coffee, everybody needs to like black coffee. Or some people will say, I like white creamer, everybody needs to like white creamer. But what this is saying is that when you take the black coffee and put in the white creamer and mix it up, you're never going to get them to separate again, and it becomes one new thing. And so when Jesus Christ died, For your sins and mine, it is no longer Jews and non-Jews, white, black, Latino, Asian, all those that know Jesus Christ. We are a new thing. The church of Jesus Christ, his people, and we need to start acting like it. No amens on that? Is it hitting a little too close to home? Becoming one, though, now listen, this is important. Becoming one does not mean that you lose your identity. One people does not mean that we all have to look alike, that we all have to talk alike, and that we all have to like the same thing. It does not mean that regardless of our backgrounds, regardless of our quirks, talents, and gifts, we are to love God first more than ourselves. We are to love God first more than the color of our skin. We are to love God first more than the size of our bank account. We are to love God first more than our family. Huh? That's the truth. Because if you love your family more than you love God, you will put your family before God and your family will become your idol. One people does not mean we all have to look alike. This is true for marriage and the church. Too many going into the marriage just thinking, I'm going to change him. When I hear that and I'm talking to people that are getting married, I'm going to change him. Or I'm going to change her. How does that work out? It doesn't. Or when you're talking with couples that have been married for a while, I thought they would change. No, they just get worse. Donald would say amen to that. But the truth of the matter is, is that we don't change. The thing that drew you to that person is the reason you love them. Don't expect them to change. Just expect that when you and that, that spouse join together, you become a new thing. As the Bible says, the two become one, like peanut butter and jelly. I love good old peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Once you get that peanut butter and jelly together, just like that coffee and cream, it's not coming apart. It becomes a new thing. And so the thing is, is our difference or what made us fall in love with one another. And the same is true with the church. How boring would it be if everyone liked the same things? Folks, stop expecting others to be like you. Looking at others before yourself is like that person that wants to count all the sprinkles on your ice cream while theirs is melting. Don't be that person. Notice the scripture says that there are two groups in himself. Today, people want to be heard for their differences. And they want everybody to agree with them. I got news for you. That will never happen. Oh, let's talk about the mask mandate. Oh, I'm gonna start meddling now. There are some of you in here that say, I am not gonna wear a mask. I believe that is the devil. And there's other people who say, well, you better wear a mask because I love my family and I want you. Look. Wear a mask, don't wear a mask. Get the shot, don't get the shot. It's your decision. But I am more worried about what are you doing with Jesus Christ. Have you prayed about those things? Have you thought of the needs of others above yourself? Have you applied gospel principles to all of these things that are running out there today? Most people have not. And the church has become silent. Our convention is arguing over these things rather than getting back to what Jesus wants us to do. God's plan for the church. We see it right here. In Ephesians 2, his plan is for us to unite in Christ. We know this. And talking about differences. Look, I'll go ahead and tell you. I have my struggles. You have my struggles. You have struggles too, right? We have some folks that are in our church that are African American. I remember going to some of them. I said, and, and, and I wasn't being crass. I said, believe it or not, I'm not black. Is that, is that a shock? No. And I went to him and I honestly said, I said, how do I minister to folks that don't look like me? I am never going to say I understand the struggle of somebody that has a different color of me. Because the truth is, I don't. I don't understand that. And I respect that. And I have struggles. And I can't just say a blanket thing, well, God loves everybody, so let's just discount What everybody has gone through. I understand that. But look, when we get to heaven, i got news for you. When we get to heaven, contrary to what you were raised to believe, heaven is not going to be a huge white Southern Baptist church having worship 24-7. The book of Revelation says there will be people of many tongues, many nations, many races that are there worshiping God together, united in Christ. So I don't make light of anyone's struggles, but I know at the end of the day that we are united, not by what makes us different, but what makes us alike. And that is having a relationship with Jesus Christ. And if we have that relationship with Jesus Christ, we're going to put him first and others before ourselves. There are many people, Christians today, that need to, I can't say the, 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 the word that means to be quiet. that starts with an S. Because I was corrected on that. But we need to be quiet. And we need to let our faith speak louder than our political preferences. Louder than what we have been raised to believe. Because the truth of the matter is. God created us to be different. And he unified us. So that when we are together we give a beautiful picture Of who he is. And that my friends. Is the purpose of the church. Our uniqueness gives the world a better picture of who God is. When we are united in Jesus. Now children and adults are being told that you're not supposed to be friends. With people who look different from you. Even though they have been friends for as long as they can remember. That's a sad place because people are focusing on what divides rather than what brings us together. You know, I think if white people were to take their gospel connection with Jesus more serious, it may change the balances. I think if African American, Asian, and Latino people were to take their life seriously, it may change the balance. I've learned that at Homeland Park like no other place. I've told many people many times, especially preachers, I'll never forget. I'd been here a couple years. They opened the new student center at AU. And they brought the pastors in for a prayer walk and a look-at-what-we-did thing. And I'll never forget my first thought. And I never thought this until I came to Homeland Park. I thought when I walked into AU, and this is nothing against AU, but I just, for the first time, I thought, look at all these white kids. (laughs) Look at all these white middle to upper-class kids that think they got problems. And that's what I love about Homeland Park community. That's what I love about Homeland Park people, is that we see the streets. We are the streets. And so if we think that we're not of the streets, and we're better than that, we might as well close the doors right now, my friends. Because God made each person. God made each color. And God made each creed. That if where we agree that Jesus Christ is a king of kings and the lord of lords and that only through salvation through him and through receiving his gift of salvation as the way to heaven we got something to unite us third thing that we see is we all have access to God through the same holy spirit he brought good news verse 17 he brought this good news of peace to you gentiles who were far away from him and peace to the jews who were near Now all of us can come to the Father, all of us can come to the Father, gain access, basically, through the Holy Spirit, because of what Christ has done. In other words, we can have peace through the Holy Spirit. And I want to go ahead and tell you, the peace that Paul is talking about is not the absence of conflict. I'm not talking about that old song where it says, if you give everyone a Coke, the world will be at peace. Do you remember the jingle? I'm getting the blank look. Go on, preacher. All right, I'm going to move on. But the truth of the matter is, is that the peace that he's talking about is a peace for your soul. To know that today and for eternity, your eternity is secure, that you have a power that those who do not know Christ don't have. I saw the Holy Spirit power work in overdrive this past week at Vacation Bible School. Leaders doing things they've never led before. Teachers teaching kids they've never taught before. How can they do that? Because they were willing and because the power of the Holy Spirit. I don't, did you know that the term Holy Spirit, there is not one verse in the Bible that says God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, are, that is the Trinity? That is a doctrine that has been made by man. And it's accurate because scriptures give credence to all three of those. But here in this one verse, you see the Holy Trinity. You see that now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done. Three different entities All are the same. We see the work of the Holy Spirit in this verse. You want peace in your life. It's going to come from Jesus Christ. And it's going to come from having the Holy Spirit in your life. Some of you may say, well, I don't know if I'm saved or not. My friends, if you have the Holy Spirit in your life, you are saved. If you do not have the Holy Spirit in your life, and you will know if you don't, then you need to make that right. Because the Holy Spirit is proof of change. Then we see the last Point here is that Jesus is the glue that holds the church together. Verse 19 it says, So you Gentiles, no longer strangers and foreigners, you are citizens along with all of our God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Together we are his house built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him, you Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. What we see here is that God turns strangers and foreigners into citizens. Back in the day when this was written, if you were a foreigner, that means that you weren't from here, but that you had certain rights that if you paid a certain fee, you could be seen as, you know, part of the society, but you would not be a citizen. Right now, citizenship is a big deal. We're dealing with immigration as a nation. So if you are a citizen, you are very blessed to be a citizen of the United States. There are dear friends of mine that have become citizens of the United States and happy to be part of that because when you become a citizen, you have all the rights wherein there lies to be a citizen of that nation. And my friends, it is no longer Jews and Gentiles. It is no longer black, white, red, yellow, or whatever. We are all citizens who know Jesus Christ, We are citizens of heaven. We are his children. This world should not feel like our ultimate home, my friends. And you can go back and you can read these verses later. I just put them up there so you can write them down if you want them. 1 Peter 2.11 says, Dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from worldly desires. Romans 12:2 says, don't copy the patterns of this world, but be transformed. Folks, if you are fully at home living the, the sinful life that this world promotes, then my friends, you've got an issue because it's not supposed to be comfortable. It's not supposed to feel right. We need to make Jesus the foundation or the cornerstone. The capstone or the cornerstone is what, when you see the initial foundation of a building, I believe ours is out there on the corner of the church, is that you have that cornerstone, and then that wall and that wall is based off of that. So if that is off, the entire building will be unstable. Jesus Christ is the cornerstone of your life and mine. And Jesus Christ has destroyed the barriers that people still try to build today. So if I were to give all of this in a glance, some of you probably say, we all have done that ten minutes ago, preacher. Well, here's, here's what we just studied at a glance. Number one, verse 14, we are all one. We are all one. Verse 16, the hostility between us has been put to death by Jesus Christ. Verse 18, we all have access to the Father through the Holy Spirit. Verse 19, we are no longer strangers or foreigners to God. And then finally, we are all being built into a holy temple with Christ as our chief cornerstone. In verses 20 and 21. So in Christ, we are one people. We must remember that. We must live it out through the church and proclaim it to this fractured world. The best witness a Christian can have is one that is at peace with God and others. Let's pray. God, your word is on point today for where we are as a nation, as a church, and as a denomination. The dear Heavenly Father, we need to continue as a church to be remembering that we are united in the gospel message of your Son. And if we start with that, and we make that our battle cry, it will give us great perspective on these other issues. May we put you first and treat others as they are better than ourselves.